0: Welcome to the 169th episode of the 4th and Twenty Four podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, our weekly look at college football, and our weekly look at Major League Baseball. So with all that content, let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. Starting in Major League Baseball, Patrick went 2-2 two and two with his Major League Baseball weekend series predictions, and in NCAA football, Patrick went 3-1 with his predictions. So Patrick was a combined 5-3, and three, which brings him to a 453-318 and 318 overall record, a 58.8% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions.
1: Well, uh, in my MLB predictions, the White Sox took 2-3 of three from the Twins. That one was a really odd series to predict because the White Sox came in very, very cold in the weekend, and the Twins came in very hot, and I decided to go with the hot hand and just assume that they at least could maybe continue it and, you know, lose the start against Dylan Cease but win the other two. But uh, they lost a close game on Friday. They did win on Sunday to avoid the sweep, but um, they were not able to win that other game that I thought, and they were one out away from being no hit by Dylan Cease, and I thought they might even have a chance of sneaking that one out, and obviously not even close. Um, then the Dodgers took two or three from the Padres. They continue their dominance over the Padres. They're playing them again next weekend. Maybe I won't predict it again because it almost feels like I'm just reloading off of something that's been happening for a while. I don't remember the last time the Padres took a series from the Dodgers at this point because I know the Dodgers have won the last 19 of the last 22 uh, against San Diego. So uh, maybe I don't predict that, but uh, we'll see. Uh, does, it depends on what else is on next weekend. Maybe some wild card important stuff. Then the Rays took two of three from the Yankees and were pretty close to actually sweeping that series, only lost by one. And actually had a 3-2 count with 1st and 2nd and 2 outs. And a called strike 3 that, depending on which service you're looking at, was a ball by most. Uh, on Yandy Diaz that would have loaded the bases, uh, turned into the strike 3 that ended the game and allowed the Yankees to avoid that sweep on the road at the hand of the uh, the, the Rays. And I'll talk about how that impacted the division when we talk about the AL East. Uh, but then you have the Mariners who took 2-3 or three from the Guardians. They have beaten them two series in the last two weeks. I thought the guardians would be able to respond, but then two of the pitchers that were scheduled to pitch in the series weren't able to pitch, uh, as a result of various injuries that weren't really exactly, um, I'll say predictable and also weren't really known and they were still scheduled to start and then they didn't start. So I, I thought that the the Cleveland had the advantage in the pitching matchups and, when I actually looked at the starters who ended up starting over the weekend, they definitely did not. Um, but And I would have picked the Mariners had I known that that was the matchup. Uh, but in college football, we'll talk about these games in depth more individually later. So I'll kind of just briefly go over it. Ohio State beat Notre Dame. I predicted that correctly. Georgia absolutely dismantled Oregon. I predicted that one pretty easily, <laughs> correctly. Uh, Arkansas played a close one at home against Cincinnati, but they won. And Florida won on the final play against Utah, which was my only loss of the week in college football.
0: Okay, well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursday. But speaking of NCAA football, let's have a quick look back at Week 1 action. And we will start with, Patrick, your thoughts on what were the best games of Week 1.
1: I thought an easy, early-of-the-season Game of the Year nominee was going to be West Virginia at number 17 Pitt uh, at, well, I think it's called, what, Akersher Stadium? I think I said that right. Um, not Heinz Field anymore, but the Pittsburgh Steelers stadium that Pitt uh, occasionally plays in. They were celebrating their ACC title with Kenny Pickett, who walked about five steps from the practice facility to get to uh, Pittsburgh Stadium. Uh, And that was uh, a big deal for Pitt. But at the same time, uh, it wasn't about that. It was about their future. It was about this game and what was going to happen this year. And, well... They uh, they barely squeaked out this win. Uh, it was a great return to a rivalry that hadn't been played since 2011, though. Uh, they they won on a pick-six on a West Virginia drop. Pitt really did not look very good in this game. Their strength is supposed to be defense, and West Virginia, with a first-year quarterback and a transfer in a tough environment, still put up 31 points, which is not really... that. I mean, if Pitt's strength is, de- is defense, that just shows that... Maybe it's not a good defense, and if their defense isn't good, this team won't be good. Uh, so I'd, that's, that's just not a good sign for them. But other than that, look, no words. It, just rewatch the game if you didn't see it. It was a great opening game to the season. Um, you don't find many better opening games than that. But somehow the games just kept delivering. I thought that seven points was a low margin on a pick six that barely won the game. But uh, one point was uh, the, the the standard for later in the weekend uh th- that game obviously was on Thursday uh but you had Ohio State against Notre Dame I-, I really I wasn't necessarily impressed with Ohio State but obviously this was a big important game so I needed a place to talk about it I put it in best games cuz it was an 11 point margin I mean Notre Dame was favored I sorry Notre Dame Notre Dame was a 17 and a half point underdog and they only lost by 11 on the road and I honestly I think they looked okay. I mean, I I still think that 5 was too high for them in the first place, Um, but I really don't think I'm going to be moving them down much from where I had them in the preseason, and I really think they're pretty much on track to finish exactly where I think they're going to finish from my preseason predictions. I have them finishing at 6th or 7th or 8th, somewhere in that range, at 10-2, and and this was one of the losses. I mean, I think, really, they showed exactly who I thought they were. They're not good enough to beat playoff quality teams. They're just not. Um, But at the same time, they are probably good enough to beat up on everybody else. So uh, that's still not a bad position to be in. They're still pretty solidly a top 10 team, in my opinion. Uh, I honestly thought they played better than I expected. I was thinking that Ohio State was going to blow them out. However, they really started slow and never showed that explosiveness, but they still looked good enough. I was surprised um, positively about their defense. Uh, they, died. I really didn't see this as a 21-10 game. Even if you said it was 11 points, I would have thought more in the maybe 31-20, 35-24 20, kind of a range. I was not expecting it to be this low scoring, but injuries to Ohio State's receivers really prevented that. Fleming and Jackson Smith and Jigba being out was a big deal there. Um, but then you had NC State and East Carolina. This game was crazy. Uh, if you think special teams are bad in this game, you'll see later that it wasn't the worst of the week. East Carolina... Missed a game-tying extra point to tie the game at 21 after making a fourth and goal goal line stand um, on their own one and then going 98 yards down the field to try to score that touchdown. They scored the touchdown, missed the extra point, and then they also missed the game-winning field goal, so both in a span of about two and a half minutes. Mind you, their kicker was an all-conference kicker last season, Um, so yeah, not a good scenario, And, and the field goal was excusable because it was like 46 or 47 yards, but that extra point was brutal. Um, And then you have North Carolina and App State. Um, Well, another game, just rewatch it if you want to see some craziness, I think. Well, App State scored 40 points in the fourth quarter. These teams combined were one point away from a fourth quarter record uh, in the last 15 years. App State scored the most of any individual team in the fourth quarter in the last 15 seasons, at least. Um, And I was right. 24 points to Florida A&M was actually how bad North Carolina's defense is. You heard it everywhere this weekend of teams who played in week zero that the biggest improvement is from week one to week two, and North Carolina's defense apparently made the biggest improvement from the season, and they gave up 61 points to Appalachian State on the road. So uh, I was right. Their defense is horrible. They were part of a very weak-looking ACC outside of Florida State who went, well, you can't say on the road because technically it was at a neutral site, but it was also in Louisiana, kind of in LSU's backyard. Uh, in a stadium that LSU has actually played games in before when they've had uh, various issues related to weather. Uh, but Florida State, the one that came 24-23, to 23, LSU muffs a punt on their final drive. It was their second muffed punt of the night. Uh, then FSU fumbles on the three-yard line when they're running the clock out, and all they need to do is just kneel down and kick a field goal from 10 yards. Well, I mean, it would be a 20-yard field goal. That really should have been what they did. They should have just kneeled, but they try to score a touchdown that's a different discussion. Then LSU drove 97 yards in 1 minute and 17 seconds. They scored with no time left to get the 98th or 99th yard of the drive. And then flashbacks of the second quarter where LSU got a field goal blocked, came back again as Florida State blocked the game tying extra point attempt with no time left, and the block also went off the uh the post to make it even uh, you know, to make it even more uh, excruciating for LSU fans that uh that came that close also even after being blocked but um special teams is their issue and uh I have nothing else to say they really just blew this game they gave this game up to Florida State they should have won and they didn't it's pretty much that simple there was another
0: good game this week but you're going to talk about it later but very similar to uh Pitt West Virginia so I I won't mention it but uh you you mentioned it later let's move on to the biggest upsets of the week
1: well Florida beat Utah number seven in the country I honestly don't think I came away from this game thinking that Utah was much worse than I thought preseason. I don't really see them being, uh, you know, a a playoff quality team anymore. I really, honestly, there's a good chance that USC is the only hope in the Pac-12 to make the playoff after the first weekend, which is a crazy statement to say, but uh, Oregon having a 46-point loss to one of the teams who's likely going to be in the playoffs— is not good. And by the way, if Georgia's not in the playoff, Oregon cannot be above them. I mean, you have the head to head, you you know, the playoff committee was willing to put Michigan over Michigan state, even when they had the same record for a lot of the season, because that game was so close and it was on the road at Michigan state. And there were various other factors in that game. There's nothing that was on the football field in that Georgia Oregon game that would tell you that Oregon is anywhere in the same world. Georgia. I mean, you could pass it off as an FBS team against an FCS team. If you, if someone photoshopped the graphics and put the game highlights and just said that it was a North Dakota state game against Georgia, I would believe it because that's what it looked like. They were just outmatched everywhere. Um, I guess there goes that analysis for that game. We'll talk about that a little more later, but at the same time, you know, Utah didn't actually look horrible. They really, really honestly, both teams executed very well in this game. I came away thinking, Florida's just way better than I thought, less so than I thought. Utah's way worse than I thought. However, Utah will be dropping in my rankings. They're not ahead of most of the teams that they were ahead of. I I still think I would pick numerous teams to go win this game at Florida. But look, they are one one receiver barely slipping away from having this win on their resume instead of having a loss on their resume to start the season. Uh, A slip on the final play caused an interception for Florida. But look, both teams... Very, very good offensive execution. Um, very impressed with Anthony Richardson. I definitely see what the hype is about in terms of draft evaluators, and uh, he has a chance to be at least the second best quarterback in the SEC this year. Obviously, Bryce Young being the best. I, I really don't see. I really don't see why he can't be better than anybody else in the conference, though. I mean, uh, Stetson Bennett is great. He led that team to a title, but he wasn't really the main catalyst in Georgia's title run. I really do think that Anthony Richardson, at least on talent, has to be the best and possibly on performance might be the best. So uh, that's what I'll go ahead and say. Um, But then you had another upset. Old Dominion beat Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech oversnapped a field goal, and it turned into an Old Dominion fumble recovery touchdown and cost Virginia Tech the game. Uh, Old Dominion only managed to score, I think, one offensive touchdown in the whole game, just two field goals and a scoop and score on a missed field goal snap. So, uh, by the way, even if that touched, even if you left the touchdown but just pretended that Virginia Tech made a field goal, this game still would have been 20-20 to instead of 20-17 to for Old Dominion. Uh, but it's great for Old Dominion. They got another win, uh, a team that wasn't D1 not too long ago, but at the same time, they have two Power 5 wins. They're both over Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech is 0-2 against them since they've turned D1. Uh, so what I'm trying to tell you is Virginia Tech... Don't play Old Dominion ever again. You're going to lose. Yeah,
0: another uh, ACC loss, huh? Yeah, right, that well. was
1: that was another marker of them looking weak. And, you know, the Florida State win is good, but that was a four, what, a three-and-a-half point line or something? That The game was supposed to be close, and it was close, and LSU handed Florida State the game. Yeah. Every other ACC team either handed their opponent the game and the other team won, or they handed their opponent the game and they lost. I mean, App State, by the way, I didn't even mention that App State went for two, had the game-winning two-point conversion, and just the receiver backpedaled instead of running the route. And then ends, And then North Carolina, instead of falling down and then just kneeling, took a touchdown back and allowed App State to score in 38 seconds right after. So everybody in the ACC looked horrible. Um, but yeah, that that let's move on from horrible teams, All right? right?
0: Let's, yeah, let's get away from who looked horrible and let's go to your most impressive teams of the week.
1: Well, this is a very, very rare thing. Um, I almost put Florida here, this Florida game, but it was a big enough upset that I left it in upsets. I'm going to say that both Arkansas and Cincinnati were most impressive this week. Um, honestly, both teams looked very good. That's not to say that Cincy won't drop out of the rankings, but they looked bad. I mean, honestly, I-, I look at a Houston who was number 24 going to overtime with UTSA, and I look at some of the other performances. I, I think I can confidently say that Cincinnati is better than those teams. Uh, I think I would even say that Cincinnati is probably better than Pitt as it is right now. Uh, I, I would value going on the road and staying in this game against Arkansas a lot more than Pitt kind of getting bailed out of their game against West Virginia. Um, there are some teams, obviously, who outside of the rankings, one of them is Penn State for sure. Uh, TCU is another one of them uh, who went on the road and proved themselves, and maybe that warrants them coming into the top 25. But I, I still have to say that I was very impressed by Cincinnati, um, and I like that Arkansas did exactly what you thought they would do with a returning quarterback, a lot of returning production. Really, the only guy they're missing is Traylon Burks, who obviously went to the NFL draft. But again, they've had all their receivers kind of come back at, other than him. So I, I really think they're in a good position. I think they're a very undervalued team by the AP poll. But I think a lot of writers, especially SEC based ones and really just everywhere, are starting to realize that when you look around and you look at, you know, you see what happened to Utah, you see what happened to Oregon, this team is solid. I mean, NC State almost blew their game against East Carolina. Arkansas, the game was in doubt maybe in a few times, but they never really showed that they were weak. I I think this is a very solid team. They don't really have any big weaknesses. They don't necessarily have a championship quality defense, but I don't think they're going to give up 50, 60 points to SEC teams. I I mean, this defense is not North Carolina level bad. It's, it's, it's not, it's a good, it's a good defense. I mean, they gave up 24 to Cincy. Yeah, Sure. Cincinnati only has an Eastern Michigan quarterback. They're replacing their quarterback and their running back. They're replacing uh, their their defensive back, Sauce Gardner, who gave up zero touchdowns in his entire college career as a corner, Um, which, by the way, that's insane. But, you know, Arkansas looks good, and Cincinnati looked honestly maybe a little better than I expected. I expect them to be a fringe top 25 team, but... The way some of the other teams looked in the top 25, they might even be a little bit higher. They might even be sneaking into the top 20, but I think they're right around that fringe range still. Uh, But my second team, I already just... I I analyzed it earlier. Georgia is just way better than Oregon, and it still impressed me, though, because I I guess they really didn't lose anything on offense other than some linemen, but their offense looked actually like vastly improved compared to last season. I I don't want to say that their defense looked worse because... They only gave up three points to Oregon. Um, But I really think their offense was the thing that was most impressive this weekend. And the defensive guys who weren't the big names who stayed from last year, Keely Ringo and, you know, Jalen Carter, it wasn't those guys. It was everybody else who still filled in on the defensive side of the ball uh, and, and held this Oregon team to three points that maybe they even shouldn't have even gotten three points, honestly. But also worth noting, Georgia became the first team since Ohio State last year to score on their first seven drives against an AP top 15 opponent. They're only the second team of all time. Obviously the first since that Ohio state team, that Ohio state team, obviously that was against Michigan state at home where they scored 49 points in the first half, Georgia took a long time to do this. They got it with 13 minutes left in the fourth quarter, but that's the thing. That's the style that they play. That's why their defense is good because they don't, their, their offense is slow moving, but very, very effective. And they always keep their defense fresh Their defense is never on the field twice in a three or four minute span. their, Their offense grinds out long drives and it helps out their defense even more as if it already needed any help. I mean, they don't, but it helps them a lot more that their offense stays on the field and it just makes everything flow very well. I think Georgia easily took over the number two spot from Ohio State this week and I think a lot of people probably share that opinion.
0: Yeah, and some people might rank them number
1: one. That's also possible, kind of the same as last week. I mean, last year.
0: All right, let's move on to the best road wins.
1: Well, I mentioned it very, very briefly, but Penn State beat Purdue 35-31. to 31. Uh, You know, I-, I was not someone who thought that Sean Clifford was going to be a very strong performer, but, hey, he-, he led Penn State to that game-winning drive. I'm not quite sure if uh, Purdue would have been close in that game had it not been for Sean Clifford's mistakes and the interception, the pick six that he threw, um, but at the same time, Clifford came back, and he led them to the drive that won them the game, so he deserves credit for that. Um, so Penn State honestly looked better than I thought. I didn't really expect them to win this game. I've talked about it all season or all off offseason. Um, I had Purdue losing that game in my overall predictions, but I really thought that if Purdue won that game, they pretty much locked up the Big Ten West title already, um, and they still have that path, and honestly, they look just about as good as I expected them to. Penn State was favored by 3.5, and, and guess what? They won by four. So, I mean, it was pretty much right on script.
0: And this was the other game I was referring to that was very much like that Pitt-West Virginia game. Two early week, two evening games during the week that really were very entertaining.
1: Yeah, and Purdue also just... Purdue also could have scored a lot more in the first half, but they didn't, and those mistakes kind of handed Penn State the game because if they had that extra cushion, they probably would have won. But regardless... There was still another game that I wanted to talk about involving a Big Ten team. Rutgers went on the road and beat Boston College 22-21. to Very weird score. I was kind of monitoring this game. Wasn't exactly that, like, interested in it, I should say. But, look, Boston College was favored by nine points. That was about the same line as a game like, I think, Arkansas, Cincinnati, Arkansas was favored by less. Uh, Utah was only favored by three on the road against Florida. Old Dominion was a seven point underdog, right? You could keep going down the list. Uh, but that game was not supposed to be a game that Rutgers won, regardless of how close it was supposed to be. Nine, nine and a half points is nothing to, or nine points is nothing to really slouch on. I mean, that, that, that is supposed to be a secure win for one team, but not, not a huge win. And Rutgers just went on the road and took this game straight from Boston college. It's a good sign for Rutgers to, uh, avenge some of their old performances against ACC teams. And, uh, Kind of stick it to them now that they're in the Big Ten, but it's really proof that this program's starting to turn around because I think, honestly, two or three years ago, they probably lose this game by 20 or 30. I, I don't even think they make this close. Uh, but the last game I wanted to talk about, Houston against UTSA. Houston only three and a half point favorites in this game. Houston won this in the triple overtime two-point conversion contest. Um, this was a crazy game, a really fun one to watch. UTSA coming off a great season and then ending up unranked, whereas Houston came off a great end to the season and a pretty good season overall and started down pretty low in the top 25, Uh, but I really can't say Houston underperformed my expectations. I I don't think—I expected them to win this game, I will say that, because I'm high on Houston in general, but I I didn't expect them to just kill UTSA, so, I mean, they played well. I I think this was a good road win. It was a good start to the season for Houston— and it was exactly what they needed. You're always going to maybe struggle a little bit in week one. Um, and maybe this experience, you know, getting that triple overtime under their belt. They know what they need to do in clutch scenarios. They know what plays they like to go to. And uh, having to come back from 21-7 down in the fourth quarter. they, I mean, they outscored UTSA 17-3 in the fourth. And it was questionable as to whether UTSA should have gotten the playoff to get their field goal uh, and and, win, and tie the game up to send it to overtime. But that's a different story. But overall, I'm okay with both of these teams. Especially liked how Houston looked.
0: All right, what? Uh, give me some quick takes from other games, or just general thoughts uh, from all across the world of college football in Week One.
1: Well, the Big Ten East looks as good as always, and arguably better than it was supposed to be. Starting the season seven and zero, including that win over the Penn State win over Purdue, and that Rutgers win on the road. Also, uh, Vanderbilt is not good. Hawaii is just extremely bad because they lost forty nine to seventeen to Western Kentucky, and Vegas has placed them as 46-point underdogs to Michigan He's next weekend. Oh, well, I didn't it, even know that. It at
0: 46. Yeah,
1: I mean, that's crazy. Uh, but look, we were talking about the possibility that also Vanderbilt did not beat Elon by that much. They, I think they won like 31-22 to 22 or something like that. So uh, Wake Forest will probably go ahead and win that game next weekend, but I was talking about the possibility that maybe that momentum from Week 1 could carry them over. But no, Hawaii is just really, 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 really bad. Um, then you have... Uh, Michigan, they won with a better defensive performance than I expected, honestly. And Ohio state, the exact same while injuries limited their offensive output for Ohio state. But, uh, yeah, that's also going back to that whole big 10 point, but both of those teams looking good on defense, USC and Miami did what they were supposed to do on offense. I mean, people have been making fun of the yards per rush of rice rushing for four, po- four plus yards per carry against USC and saying, there you go. Lincoln Riley, no defense, whatever, whatever. Um, Whatever, I, I don't, it doesn't matter. I mean, Miami started off the game losing to Bethune Cookman, and at the end of the game, they won by they they had the most points they've ever scored in an opener in 170 to 14. So I mean, this this kind of stuff it's not an issue. Um, neither of these teams are now all of a sudden top ten teams because of what they did, uh, but they did look good in the first games of their new head coach's uh, regime. Uh, then you have in terms of conferences. Big Ten and SEC just continued to show why they're easily the two best. That Rutgers win over, over Boston uh, Boston College was big. Um, and Virginia Tech losing to Old Dominion along with UNC and NC State struggling just highlighted the fact that the ACC is just not good. And that is the third conference, I would argue, the third best. Well, maybe the Big 12 this year looks better than the ACC at this point. Um, but overall, you know, I, I just think the Big 12 and the SEC just looked way, 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 way better Um, than the ACC and the Big 12 did for sure. Uh, Then you have Florida, who may still just be the fourth best team in the weaker SEC division, who took a game over the number seven team in the country who's the best team in the Pac-12, arguably. So uh, that doesn't look good for the Pac-12 at all, but we all know that the Pac-12 is not ever really that strong, and it wouldn't be very surprising if they were, you know, not that great again. Then you have the Big 12. I honestly think they looked as expected. Nothing special. Most impressive performance was definitely TCU going to a packed stadium in Boulder and beating Colorado 38 to 13. So uh, that was good for the big 12, but still think firmly behind the big 10 firmly ahead of the ACC.
0: Okay. Well that wraps up our look at college football week one action. Now let's move on to our weekly in-depth review of major league baseball starting as always in the American league East.
1: The Yankees are very, very close to blowing their division lead uh, they sit at 80 and 54 after being the first team to 70 wins in all of MLB. The Dodgers not only beat them to 80 wins, but beat them to 90 wins. Not only did they just beat them to 90 wins, the Dodgers captured their 90th win before the Yankees got to their 80th win. The Yankees were actually, I think, the fourth or fifth team. Maybe even the Bra- the Braves might have even beaten them to 80. Now that yeah, the Braves did beat them to 80. So the Mets, the Braves, the Astros, and the Dodgers all beat the Yankees. Um, 280, and the Cardinals were one day away from doing the same, and I mean, the Mariners are only a few days from doing that in their own right, so the Yankees have uh, fallen from the ranks of one of the best, and uh, they allowed the Rays and the Jays to stay within striking distance in the division with a series loss to the Rays over the weekend. Avoiding the sweep allowed the Yankees to stay five games out of the Rays and six out of Toronto instead of three games out of the Rays and five games out of Toronto. I mentioned how they barely won that game. Uh, off that maybe questionable maybe not call i, I mean i have I've looked at various umpire evaluating schemes and you know they all kind of differ i mean a lot of things the the on air broadcast said it was low um by a lot i should mention and then the m l b one looked like it was kind of low but maybe not so clear so it's 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 questionable but um they i will say the Yankees, they, they've gotten some breaks and they probably don't deserve to still be leading this division, but that lead that they had built up so early in the season, has that, that cushion they built has been important. There's a reason why setting the wins record pace at 121 for like half of the season does, does lend you the cushion to be terrible post-All-Star break and still win the division. Um, they're definitely trending downwards in terms of the playoffs, though. I would say that the Astros are easily the heavy favorites uh, in the AL at this point. Uh, but the Rays, 74 and 58, they're five games back. The Blue Jays, six games back at 73 and 59. The Orioles are only eight and a half games back in this division, 71 and 62. They have half the deficit the Padres have to the Dodgers now to, uh, that the Orioles have to the Yankees, which is insane. Uh, the Red Sox, still 13 and a half games back because they're under 500. But we'll talk about this division more as it comes to the wild card where they're a little more relevant.
0: All right, well, then let's move to the AL Central.
1: In the AL Central, the Guardians are still leading, but actually they're tied. With the Minnesota Twins, both teams have a 68 and 64 record. Uh, after the Twins trended backwards all of last week, the Guardians trended backwards all of this week. So uh, they end up in a 68-64 top of the division tie. The Guardians have lost five in a row. They're two and eight in their last ten. Uh, ESPN's playoff odds have the Guardians at 42 percent, the Twins at 40 percent, and the third-place White Sox at 21 percent. The White Sox are 67 and 67. There are only two games back in this division. Uh, it's very interesting because, well, both teams have an easy. Any team in here has an easier road to getting into the playoffs by winning the division than they do in the wild card. And not only do they have an easier road, but they would face the third wild card team as opposed to if they were in the wild card, they would be facing the best division winner. Um, but obviously the or sorry the worst division winner. But obviously the worst division winner is within this division. Um, So somebody has to make it in from this division and somebody won't. And uh, in the end, probably all three of the wildcard teams will have better records. The Orioles have a 71 and 62 record, which would be leading this division by two and a half games over the Guardians and the Twins. And mind you, that is the last, sorry, the fourth place team in the AL East, a team who isn't in the playoff bracket if the playoffs started today. Uh, And also the the Red Sox, who are in last five games back of fourth. In the AL East, would be two and a half games behind first in this division. Just important to mention. Uh, but look, Guardians had trouble against Seattle over the weekend, and the Twins came all the way back to tie them. While the White Sox are just two games back after that series weekend. Sorry, weekend series win uh, over the Twins. Uh, then you have Chicago, who will now face the Yankees. Uh, sorry, who will now face the Mariners, who have won seven games in a row. While the Twins face the Yankees, and the Guardians face the Royals to start the week, and we'll have to see. How that turns out, uh, since we're recording this a little bit late, we already do know that the Yankees did win their first game over the Twins, so that pushed it in the Guardians' favor. But I actually don't know what happened with the Guardians and the Royals, so I won't spoil the rest of it. Um, and the White Sox were win against the Mariners, but I have no clue. I'm not trying to talk about the standings, though, in a in a time that we're not, uh, you know, actually contextualizing the conversation within though. so I'll just move on away from the AL Central, although... Sorry, the Royals. You're fifty five and eighty. That's great for you. And Tigers are fifty one and eighty three. That's great for you.
0: Okay, let's move to the AL West.
1: Well, you have the Houston Astros, who are eighty six and forty eight. Uh, I mentioned them earlier. They have the best record in the AL by a good amount of games, by six games over the Yankees. Should be able to take that lead and probably take home field with that pretty, pretty easily. They don't have to play that great, but they're also still playing good baseball. They've won seven of their last ten. Uh, they're not. They're they're having a very Astros season. They really the Astros have made a model of consistency in terms of they get one or two big win streaks a year. They just absolutely build up huge divisional leads, and then they really just go like seven and three, six and four over every ten game span, and they just kind of keep their lead because it's just impossible to uh, catch up to them. And that's really what the Mariners are feeling right now. Speaking of the Mariners, they are seventy six and fifty eight. They're ten games back. But they have won seven games in a row, and they are 9-1 in their last 10. They, according to ESPN, have a 99.4% chance to make the playoffs. A great sign for the Mariners, who obviously are in the midst of a very, very long playoff drought. The longest of the four major sports. Uh, then you have, uh, sorry, the Mariners taking the top wildcard spot with that uh, streak. Then you have the Rangers. They're 58-75. and 75. They've lost 8 in a row which has caused them to be within a half game of the Angels who are at 58 and 76, they're 28 games back. Then you have the A's who are 50 and 85, 36 and a half games back.
0: Yeah, I guess it didn't work out for the Rangers and the Angels to turn their season around by firing their managers. All right, let's take No, one. and
1: I mean the Rangers have been <laughs> awful since yep. firing yep.
0: theirs. So let's, uh, let's go to the AL wild card.
1: Well, that is where the AL gets most interesting. You have Seattle, who, as I said, has claimed the top wildcard spot. They are two games up on the Blue Jays for the third and final wildcard spot. They're one game up on the Rays to holding on to what would eventually turn into home field for that first wildcard series between the four seed and the five seed in the playoffs. Um, the Rays at 74 and 58, just one game back. And actually, same amount of losses, so that's a good that's a good thing for them. Uh, the Blue Jays only won only one more loss than both of those teams, so that's also a positive thing for them. Uh, but they only maintain a two-and-a-half game lead over Baltimore. Then I will get to the rest of this list while I talk about what's going on in the in the next week for them. So let's go to it. Seattle, with their hot streak, as I said, has claimed that number one wildcard spot. The Rays' sustained se- success dating back all the way to the beginning of August, where I think they have the best record in the AL, has allowed them to stay in the second wildcard spot. Uh, but Toronto has been up and down, but they are in third for now. They will play the fourth-place Baltimore Orioles, uh, to hope to extend their lead. And the Baltimore Orioles will obviously hope to close down that gap. The Rays, I mean, sorry, the Blue Jays took two of a two game doubleheader today though. So that's not very good for the Orioles who will now be four and a half games back. Uh, But then you have the Guardians, the Twins and the White Sox who have the easiest route to the postseason within their division rather than the wild card as they are five, five and seven and seven games back respectively from the wild card while Obviously, the Guardians and the Twins are tied for the division lead uh, in their, well, in the division, and the White Sox are only two games back instead of seven games back. Uh, Then you have Boston, who has won five in a row, putting them seven and a half games back before a clash with the second-place Rays that, you know, maybe if they take a few games in the series, they can start to knock down the deficit chip away at it. They probably have some games left against really all of the major contenders to take a wildcard spot. I would say if the Red Sox get hot, they can overcome probably at least... Two of the Guardians and the White and the White Sox, and then one of those two will have to win, one of the other, the other team would have to win the division. That would be the Twins in that scenario. Um, and then the second wild card, the third wild card, and the first team out are all in their division, so they control a lot of their destiny by how they play within those divisional games. Uh, they haven't played too well in those series so far this season, but if they're able to turn that around, they might have a backdoor chance of sliding into the playoffs.
0: All right, let's move over to the National League in, in the East.
1: Oh, Interrupted you a little bit yeah, there, okay. uh, but the Mets—they are. I'm excited to talk about this race because it's the only close one in baseball, pretty much, other than that uh, AL Central where it's tied. Uh, the Mets—they are only one game ahead of the Atlanta Braves. Uh, the the Mets at 85 and 50, second best record in the NL. The Braves at 84 and 51, third best record in the NL. Have a dominating lead on the first wild card spot. They will be if they, whoever does not win this division will be the first wild card. We we all know that at this point. Uh, but look, the Mets dropped a series to the Nationals at home over the weekend, which allowed the Braves to move within one game of them. After the Braves swept the Marlins, they are five, they won five in a row. Uh, and the Mets may be, you know, just feeling a little gassed after putting in a lot of energy to beating the Dodgers and uh, not able to carry that over into a series against the Nationals. Maybe that's one of those things where you kind of slump for a few days when you're kind of lost your focus. I mean, the Dodgers did that a few times against the Pirates this season. Yeah so. against the Nationals. Well, yeah, that's true. But certainly... It's excusable, I guess, but I guess maybe the Mets, it's kind of not because the Dodgers have an 18-game lead and don't have the luxury, or sorry, do have the luxury of doing that, whereas the Mets, they don't have that luxury because now all of a sudden the Braves are breathing down their neck. This this season will probably come down to uh, that uh, the series between those two that will happen. I don't know where it's happening, but it's happening eventually in the season. It's a three-game series, and it's the last one of the year between those two. Uh, the Mets have the overall advantage, but the Braves won the last series, I believe. Uh, And then you have the Phillies, who are 11 games back at 73 and 61, more relevant in the wildcard race. Then you have the Marlins at 55 and 78, 29 games back, and the Nationals at 47 and 87, 37 and a half games back.
0: All right, let's move over to the Central, where it used to be competitive.
1: Well, the Cardinals have continued to extend their lead in the division, and it now sits at eight and a half games over the Brewers. Cardinals sitting at 79 and 55, pretty much locked into the third spot uh, in the playoffs. That's probably where they're going to sit, honestly, because, well, uh, they are pretty... I mean, they're only four or five games behind the Mets and the Braves, but at the same time, obviously 13 games back of the Dodgers. Uh, so they're not getting the one seed and they're most likely not getting to the two seed, although they have played good enough that it is possible. It, 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 honestly, th- they have potential to catch maybe the Mets or the Braves, but it would require both of those teams kind of to start start slumping a little bit at the end of the season. And I don't see that happening when they're actually trying to win their division. Uh, but nonetheless... They've won four in a row. They're eight and two in their last ten. Ninety nine point eight percent chance to win to make the playoffs. I would say that's extremely low, <laughs> honestly. They should be greater than ninety nine point nine. I think they have just as easy of a route to winning their division as the Dodgers do. Um, and I would argue they got the Mets and the Braves both at n- greater than ninety nine point nine. So per- the Cardinals should probably be in that conversation too. Then you have the Brewers who are seventeen and sixty three. They're eight and a half games back, um, but. Yeah, that's a wild card team for sure. And maybe not even a wild card team. They will be fighting for that spot for the rest of the season, and we'll have to see how that turns out. But for now, that's where they're fighting. Then you have the Cubs. They're 56 and 78. I've set a lot of records like that today. Um, they're 23 games back, and I'm going to say some more records like that. The Reds are 53 and 79. They are 25 games back. And the Pirates are 49 and 84, 29 and a half games back. The bottom three in this division continued to be the worst bottom three of a division in all of baseball. Just kidding; it's actually the Rangers and the Angels and the A's, to be quite honest. But uh, it didn't have to be at the beginning of the season. Um, but yeah, that's all I got on the NL Central. Not a very interesting division.
0: And another not interesting division, at least at the top. Well, until we get to the wild card, is the NL West.
1: Yep, the Dodgers are 92 and 41. They are 19 games ahead of the second-place Padres. Uh, The who are at 74 and 61. I should mention after losing that weekend series against the Dodgers, the Giants are 64 and 68, 27 and a half games back, and as they enter a series against the Dodgers, they're a half game ahead of the Arizona Diamondbacks, who are eight and two in their last ten and have been playing great recently. Uh, They're 64 and 69, only well, only 28 games back in the division. Well, they're 28 games back in the division, but obviously very close to the Giants, as I mentioned. Then you have the Rockies, who are in last. They're 57-78, and 78, 36 games back. And we'll talk about the rest of the significance in the wild card in a second, but I would like to mention Blake Trinan returned from a 60-day IL stint and threw a shutout inning against the Padres, which was good for him over the weekend. And uh, we'll continue to see if he is able to perform uh, as he continues to come back from his injury, because that was, I mean, he made three appearances this season before uh, that game against the Padres. So he has not pitched in a very, very long time.
0: Okay. Let's
1: look at the wild card. In the wild card, the Atlanta Braves are 10 games ahead of the Padres for the second wild card spot, but at one game back in the division, that's obviously not what they're chasing. They won't just settle for the wild card. Uh, pretty similar to the Dodgers last year. Th- that race, honestly, is starting to turn into the Dodgers-Giants where both teams have great records, but one team's got to win the division, one team won't be able to. I wonder if they're going to have the same situation where they can't set up their rotation and all of a sudden – it might lose them a series. I could definitely see that happening, but...
0: Well, the good news is that they get a bye, so...
1: One team would get a bye, but the other team would be able... would be uh, kind of gassed from that other race and still not being able to win it, and you never know what could happen if they play a potent offense. I mean, the Phillies have shown the potential to beat the Braves this season with just pure offense alone. Obviously, they don't have the pit. Well, Nola and Wheeler are good, but I don't think they... Uh, maybe they are better than the Braves pitching, to be quite honest. You In a three-game series, honestly, you only need a one-two combo that could just win you the series. So there's a scenario where Nola and Wheeler come in, the Braves rotation is a little bit messed up, trying to chase a divisional win, and all of a sudden, the Phillies just out-hit the Braves at, at Truist, and then that's it for the Braves. It's very, very possible. Right. I don't see it happening, but it is still a possibility, and it's worth talking about. Uh, but then the Padres, who lost a series to the Dodgers, which is excusable— Um, but the Phillies, they got swept by the Giants. That's inexcusable. And for the Brewers, they lost a series to the Diamondbacks. That's also inexcusable. However, speaking of the Giants and the Diamondbacks, uh, the Giants are eight games back before a series with the Dodgers. But the Diamondbacks are just eight and a half games back of the Phillies and nine back of the Padres. But very, very importantly, they will play the Padres seven times over the next two weeks. And in the first of those seven matchups, the Diamondbacks already won. Uh, so... There is a potential that uh, with the with the Padres playing the Dodgers six times and the Diamondbacks seven uh, of the, what, 13? Well, 13 of the last 20 or 20 25-ish, right? Yeah, yeah that, that many games, almost half of them against maybe a possible, I guess you could say contender in the wild card, and at the same time a very good team who has a history of beating you a lot who will be trying to clinch the division when they play you this weekend, most likely. Uh Th- those are not easy games and the Padres also play some hard series uh in between that the Cardinals will be trying to lock up their division while playing the Padres and they probably play the Giants a few times over the end of the season so th- there's a big potential for the Padres to slip up there um and at this point the Brewers I mean the Padres have lost two in a row they're only six and four in their last 10 the Brewers are farther back this week than they were last week after the Padres lost a series in the middle of the week at the end of the week so I just don't see it with the Brewers anymore. They've kind of blown their opportunities. And frankly, the Phillies should be ahead of the Padres, and I don't know how they're not. Uh, but they also, I think, got swept by the Diamondbacks earlier this weekend. So the Diamondbacks have been playing well against playoff-quality teams. And it's not just a week-schedule thing. The last 10 games, I think, are all against uh, the Padres and the Phillies, and then I think maybe 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 the Rockies before that. But still, pretty good by the Diamondbacks, and they have a very, very slight chance... Of taking those head-to-head games and maybe even moving ahead of the Padres if the Padres kind of have a collapse, because I have no faith in the Brewers at this point.
0: Well, it's a good thing that they have the expanded playoffs for the wild cards, because basically we have two division races that are interesting and then a really, really compelling wild card race.s So we'll uh, we'll see what happens in the as we come down to the last four weeks of the four or five weeks of the Major League Baseball season. But that wraps up our look at Major League Baseball for this podcast. It also wraps this edition of the Fourth and Twenty Four podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Monday, September 12th, where we will recap Patrick's weekend predictions, have our weekly look at MLB, look back at the highlights from Week 2 of college football, and discuss Week 1 of the NFL.
1: That'll be pack. a long podcast.
0: will be a long-packed podcast, but we're glad for the reason for it. The NFL will be back. So, before we get there, in the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his MLB Power Rankings that will be updated tomorrow, his annual spreadsheet predicting every college football game for the 2022 regular season, our College Football Week 2 poll that will be posted on Wednesday, and Patrick's picks for next weekend's games. Those are posted on Thursday, as always. All that on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.